Abortion rights was a subject which divided this country 30 years ago, and now it's back in the headlines thanks to a recent High Court decision. Right to Life New Zealand brought the case against the Abortion Supervisory Committee, accusing it of failing to exercise proper oversight of the way in which abortion laws are administered. In his decision, Justice Miller cast doubt on the lawfulness of many abortions taking place. So is it time for the issue to be debated again? Our court reporter Anne-Marie May investigates. Dr Gerald Wall brought his hospital amendment bill to Parliament and the Royal Commission was set up to look into abortion, contraception and sterilisation. Abortion brought the country into conflict with SPUC on one side, pro-abortionists on the other and our MPs facing a conscience vote. Abortion was one of the defining issues of the 70s as described in that clip from a programme looking back at the decade. The rise in feminism saw large numbers of women take to the street demanding the right to control their own fertility, while other groups such as the Society for the Protection of the Unborn Child lobbied just as vigorously against abortion. A royal commission was set up in 1975 to seek comment from all sectors of society and its recommendations formed the basis of the Contraception, Sterilisation and Abortion Act passed in 1977. The former national MP, George Gere, vividly remembers the debate and says at times it became extremely heated. I won't mention the name of the colleague but I was having coffee and chatting over the coffee table with a a colleague from my side who had actually called me a murderer in the house the night before. Well, he was not the only one who called me that too. He says Parliament's consideration of abortion occurred at a time of changing social mores when issues such as pregnancy outside marriage were being more widely discussed. Social attitudes were quietly uh, relaxing too from the more stringent attitudes that my generation, as it were, receive from our parents' generation and them from their parents' generation. There was a greater willingness by more people to at least talk about it. It had been a verboten subject apparently for so many people and in so many families, you just didn't mention it. Amongst the Royal Commission's recommendations was the formation of 12 to 14 abortion panels throughout New Zealand. However, Parliament eventually discarded the panels in favour of a system of certifying consultants to sign off on abortions. The new procedures came into effect in April 1978 under the supervision of the newly appointed Abortion Supervisory Committee. The law stated that abortions were only legally available to women in certain circumstances, including when the pregnancy would endanger the mother's life, her physical or mental health, or if there was a risk of the fetus being handicapped. Two certifying consultants were required to assess women seeking abortions to ensure they met those criteria. But in his recent judgment, Justice Miller said... There is reason to doubt the lawfulness of many abortions authorised by certifying consultants. Indeed, the committee itself has stated that the law is being used more liberally than Parliament intended. On a very wet Wellington day, I climbed an enormous number of stairs to visit Dr Jim Hefford, a retired certifying consultant at his home. Dr Hefford says that when he worked as a certifying consultant, he signed off a few certificates on the grounds of extremes of age in the mother, but every other certificate was signed off on mental health grounds. He said he never felt comfortable doing that, but he justified it by recalling the World Health Organization's definition of health. Health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And that's in their constitution and has not been changed since it was first set up. And if you say that's mental health, well, that's fine. 
Sharon, who had an abortion in 1984, spoke to me on the condition that she remain anonymous. She now regrets the abortion and believes that the mental health ground was misused to sign off her termination. Sharon says the case taken by Right to Life is a good thing because it has cast that issue into the spotlight. People will look at it and go, "Okay, if these ladies have had mental problems and that's why they're having the abortions, we need to do something about it. If there's 8,500 babies being killed, then we have 18,500 or however many women who have said they've got major mental problems out there wandering around and we need to do something about it. Either that's a lie or it's the truth and we need to follow it up. In election year, abortion seems to be a political hot potato. The only politician who agreed to an interview for this programme was the independent MP Gordon Copeland, who will be standing under the Kiwi Party banner at this year's election. He says that when the legislation was enacted 20 years ago, it was regarded as a victory for the pro-life faction. Parliament had thought that by having two certified consultants in the process, that it would actually be quite difficult to have an abortion in New Zealand. So, of course, it's absolutely amazing that uh, years later we uh, have uh, perhaps arguably the highest rate of abortions of any developed country in the world. And that's, of course, because the law has basically not been followed. Gordon Copeland says he shares Justice Miller's concern about that. The law is being broken continuously. When you have some consultants who never turn down a request, he specifically says there's some like that, and 98% of all of the abortions are signed up on the basis of serious risk to the woman's mental health. We all know that that is a farcical uh, situation because the great majority of those women are perfectly normal and perfectly healthy from a mental point of view. Justice Miller also said that the abortion rate here is comparable to that of countries such as Canada and the United States, where women enjoy a constitutional right to abortion. Ken Orr, who leads Right to Life New Zealand, agrees with Justice Miller that the figures show that this country has abortion on demand, which the law does not provide for. During the court case, Right to Life also raised issues about the legal rights of the unborn child and the provision of counselling services. Justice Miller ruled against it on those points, but he agreed that the Abortion Supervisory Committee had misinterpreted its power under the law to review or scrutinise the decisions of certifying consultants. Kenor is hailing that ruling as the most important development in abortion law in the last 30 years. Our whole objective was to seek increased legal protection for our unborn children in New Zealand and also to seek protection for the health and welfare of women because we passionately believe that abortion hurts women and we are pleased with this judgment because we now see there's an opportunity to spare women the suffering and the trauma and the damage to their health that an abortion brings. The president of the Abortion Law Reform Association, Margaret Sparrow, agrees with Ken Orr that the law is being manipulated. She says it's ridiculous that 99% of New Zealand women seeking an abortion are having to do so on the grounds of mental health, because 99% of them are not mentally ill. She says New Zealand would be better off adopting a social ground for abortions, as many overseas jurisdictions have done. I think that in countries that have adopted the social grounds and or socioeconomic grounds are really reflecting what's happening in practice. I think it's more honest to say that 90% or whatever are done on social grounds than to say 99% are done on mental health grounds. 
The Abortion Supervisory Committee is charged with administering this country's abortion laws, including the collation and analysis of information about abortion. The latest committee was appointed a year ago and is chaired by Professor Linda Holloway. She says that until the court case comes to an end, it's impossible to say what, if any, changes might need to be made to its procedures. The committee is confident that we are discharging our responsibilities under the Act. The judicial process is incomplete, and until His Honour makes any declarations which she may choose to make, we're really not in a position to comment as to whether we need to adjust our means of operation. Right to Life had asked the judge to make declarations clarifying the committee's functions under the abortion law. However, on releasing his judgment, Justice Miller gave both sides a month to consider it before he takes any further action. So after 30 years of the current abortion law, is it time that New Zealand as a society took another look at it? Any law change would have to go through Parliament, but the politicians appear to be running for cover on the issue. I approached all the major parties for comment about Justice Miller's decision and whether or not it's time for the abortion laws to be updated. Labour's Health Minister David Cunliffe declined to comment on the issue and passed it on to the Justice Minister Annette King, whose office issued this statement. The litigation processes are not yet completed. When they are, the government will seek in-depth advice from Crown Law on the implications of the judgment. The implications will be studied, but it would be premature at this stage to comment further. None of the other major parties would comment, with the general attitude seeming to be that abortion is not an issue that any politician wants to debate in election year. Independent MP Gordon Copeland believes that the abortion rate in New Zealand could be significantly reduced if women were given what he terms proper counselling before making the decision, and he's introduced an abortion-informed consent bill to Parliament. He says that at present women receive counselling after they've decided to have an abortion and it's directed towards preparing them for the abortion, but he'd like to see more information given to women as soon as they discuss abortion with their doctor. She should then go to a counselling service which is independent of the abortion clinics and be given all of the information required, both in terms of the impacts on her health, etc., with continuing with the pregnancy and also in terms of an abortion. Then I believe she's in a position to make a proper decision. Dr Jim Hefford, the former certifying consultant, says that the women whose abortions he signed off on did have counselling which explored all the options available to them. However, Sharon, who had an abortion in 1984, believes there were deficiencies in the counselling offered to her. She was 23 years old and engaged at the time she fell pregnant, but her fiancé was not the father of her unborn child. She says she had 20 minutes of counselling the day before her abortion, but no alternatives to the procedure were suggested. I mean, I went in and spoke the truth. You know, I'm engaged to be married, da 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 But as we carried on talking and talking and talking, the excuse wasn't good enough. I can remember the lady as she um, pushed the uh, counselling until at the very end then, you know, it was sort of like, all right, I'll commit, yes, I'll be suicidal if I don't get married. So once I said that, then I was able to sign the papers to say that I could have the abortion. Sharon says that for years after her abortion, she was haunted by the vacuum cleaner sound of the machine used in the operation, and she says there was little in the way of aftercare following the procedure. You get wheeled through to a room where there are lots of other people, at least four or five beds on each side of the room. And I was lying in there and I started to cry, started to weep, and an older nurse came in and told me off for, for crying, 
and I couldn't stop. I was, I was uncontrollable. I, was, I can remember just hysterically crying. So they wheeled me into a room on my own, gave me some Panadol and uh, told me to behave myself. And then in about, I'd say probably about an hour later maybe, I uh, was told to put my clothes on and was said goodbye and that was it. Sharon says that in the following years she drank heavily and experienced mood swings and depression, all of which she blames on the trauma of having an abortion. Right to Life and others who oppose abortion say that there are thousands of other women like Sharon who suffer mental and emotional problems as a result of having a termination. However, those who uphold a woman's right to choose dispute that claim and describe abortion as a legal medical procedure like any other, which for most women has no long-term effects. In March this year, the Royal College of Psychiatrists in London recommended to the British Parliament that a full systematic review around abortion and mental health be undertaken. It said it wanted to ensure that women's mental health is protected whether they seek an abortion or continue with a pregnancy, and it made the following statement. The specific issue of whether or not induced abortion has harmful effects on women's mental health remains to be fully resolved. The current research evidence basis is inconclusive. Some studies indicate no evidence of harm, whilst other studies identify a range of mental disorders following abortion. I approached family planning and a number of women's health organisations, along with friends and colleagues, in an effort to speak to a woman who'd had an abortion and had managed to put it behind her and get on with life, but no one who'd done that would share their experience with me. Christy Parker, a policy analyst with the Women's Health Action Trust, says that's not surprising given the moral judgments that society still makes about abortion and those who have them. She says those judgments arise from an assumption that women make casual decisions about abortion or use abortion as a form of birth control. We really see this as a myth. In fact, we think for most women, abortion is a major interruption to their life plans or expected path and is a significant life choice. So it's a choice that is usually unexpected and really difficult to make. But that women are the experts about whether or not they need to use abortion services and where safe abortion services are not available, that they will still decide to terminate their pregnancies. Christy Parker says pictures of fetuses shown in the media perpetuate what she describes as the dominant cultural imagery of the fetus as somehow separate from women's bodies, and she says that contributes to the idea that abortion violates the rights of the unborn child. The idea of the unborn child with the separate rights relies on our imagination, our social imagination that the fetus is separate from women's bodies. And we see this as just not a biological reality. So the fetus cannot exist separate to or outside of women's bodies. They are part of women and therefore a part of each individual woman's set of life circumstances and beliefs and values and experiences. Meanwhile, the Abortion Supervisory Committee chairperson, Linda Holloway, says that her group is in the process of appointing a standard subcommittee which will work towards developing a New Zealand standard for abortion services. She hopes that as part of that, they'll be looking at a standard for informed consent, including the information that needs to be relayed to women considering a termination. Professor Holloway says they'll also be looking at the issue of follow-up care. We are working at the moment on developing a system where there is a standard report which can be completed by the doctor who does see the woman for a follow-up visit in which we can keep good records of any adverse outcomes of either her physical or her mental health and that will allow us to get a much better handle on what complication rates there may be. 
Statistics New Zealand recently released figures which show that more than 18,000 terminations took place in 2007. It's a rate that has remained stable for the last seven years. But regardless of their view of abortion, almost all of those I spoke to while preparing this programme agree that that figure's too high. Dr Jim Hefford points to a variety of reasons for the high abortion rate. Because of failure in contraception and failure in contraceptive motivation too. And failure to recognise that we're not not in complete control of what we do. You know, um, binge drinking is obviously a very big factor and it's a big New Zealand factor. Linda Holloway says her committee is not charged with influencing the abortion rate in either direction, but it will be taking a careful look at the figures. It may be possible to make comments on some ways in which the rate might be influenced. But to a certain extent, the abortion rate is a reflection of demography and society, and it's not our brief to traverse into that area. Father Michael McCabe, who heads the Nathaniel Centre, the Catholic Church's New Zealand Bioethics Centre, says given that all sides of the debate are unhappy with the number of abortions in New Zealand, it's time to take a fresh look at things. I spoke to him at his office at St Mary's Convent in Wellington where he pointed out that the effects of abortion are wide-ranging and not just confined to women and children. You'd have to ask, you know, what are the economic effects, what are the social effects of those numbers of abortion in our country? I think the gaps are in our families, the gaps are in our congregations, the gaps are in our communities and everyone loses and certainly there are no winners in abortion not the mother of the child not the woman or the child or society at large some people including professor nicola peart a health law expert at otago university believe that justice miller's decision may lead to a decrease in abortion numbers because doctors may now be more cautious about authorizing abortions Personally, I think it's more likely that we will see a change in behaviour, that there may be fewer abortions authorised, and that, of course, uh, may in turn mean that some women are not going to get abortions who otherwise would have wanted one, and who knows what that might lead to. Professor Peart says that there has been a suggestion from past abortion supervisory committees that the law should be changed and abortion decriminalised. It's seen as being extremely inappropriate to put a health issue, because all the grounds are health-related grounds, all the major ones, that that is all dealt with under the Crimes Act. So that's been a long-standing request that uh, the abortion law be regulated as a health matter and not as a criminal matter. So that's one thing that may come from this. Ken Orr from Right to Life says that his group would strenuously oppose any move to decriminalise abortion. It would be a severe violation of human rights. It would be denying the humanity of the unborn child, it would be denying its human rights, and it would be denying the fact that the state has a compelling interest to protect the lives of its future citizens. On the other hand, Christy Parker from the Women's Health Action Trust says decriminalisation is a good idea which would improve the well-being of those seeking an abortion. We would say to decriminalise the grounds of abortion, to move it out of the Crimes Act into a part of women's reproductive health services, an accepted and understood part of women's reproductive choices, that that would um, remove the guilt and shame around abortion, that that would lessen that burden on women. 
MP Gordon Copeland says that in the United States, even abortion advocates like Hillary Clinton agree that the rate is too high and that abortion can harm women, and New Zealand law needs to recognise that shift in opinion. People who want to argue for abortion as a woman's right have had to modify their stance a bit to take that reality into account as well. And a number of states in America have proceeded with informed consent bills very much along the lines of the one that I'm proposing here in New Zealand. So I don't think we should go back to a polarised debate about this. We should tap into the new consensus which is emerging internationally. Linda Holloway, the head of the Abortion Supervisory Committee, says any law alteration would have to take note of some of the major changes in health policy and practice that have occurred in the last 30 years. We have a Health and Disability Commissioner, we have the Health Practitioners Competency Assurance Act and vocational training for doctors and continuing professional education has become much more formalised. So the environment is very different and therefore if someone were writing legislation now they would have to obviously write it in accordance with the current health environment. But with politicians generally unwilling to have abortion on the agenda as an election issue, the likelihood of legal changes anytime soon are looking slight. Dr Jim Hefford points out that times have also changed since the last debate on abortion and that could also influence any attempt at a law change. There are 300,000 women in New Zealand who who have had safe legal abortions since 1978 and that's a substantial slice of the electorate. Even if a new parliament changed the law to make it tougher, there would soon be a reaction, and I think the parliamentarians would suffer for it. If the issue did gain any political traction, the former National MP and Health Minister George Gere says it could be a very divisive process politically. He says Justice Miller's decision may have opened something of a Pandora's box, and he wouldn't want to return to the sort of debate which took place in the 70s. It divided the political environment through the late 70s into the 80s. These social issues divided the political environment quite seriously and it took some time to mend those wounds. I think we're better if we focus on the things that that must be attended to by the parliament rather than something that we're not going to produce the perfect answer to. Father McCabe believes that the way New Zealanders look at abortion has changed in the last 30 years, and so has the way issues are talked about. He says back then the issue was centred around gender politics, but he believes the cultural context of the abortion debate has since changed. His centre took part in the recent debate about the uses of pre-birth testing technologies, including whether people should have the right to determine the sex of a baby. He says the way in which those discussions took place could provide a guide for any debate about changes to the abortion legislation. That was a process of quite respectful dialogue. Now you can have issues with the final report, but the process was we could talk about contentious issues issues with amazing implications, but we could do so respectfully where all the voices were heard. That's the sort of thing that we need to do, is how can we workshop and talk about these deep divisions in our society in a mature and a more considered way. But a recent posting to YouTube from a personal group labelling themselves Pro-Choice NZ suggests that abortion is still an emotive issue that could sink attempts at respectful dialogue.
The video on YouTube is set to the Twisted Sister song, We're Not Gonna Take It, and billed as a message to write to life from the women of Aotearoa, New Zealand. It contains various images, including a picture of Right to Life's Ken Orr with a gun pointed at his head. It also uses a number of obscenities to describe Ken Orr and says, if you don't like abortions, don't have one. Ken Orr has described the YouTube posting as sickening, but has a simple response to those who describe him as a busybody who interferes in an issue that shouldn't be his business. Well, the same argument was used in the slavery debate in the United States. If you don't like slavery, don't have a slave. That's a copy out. This is a civil rights or human rights issue, and it concerns the whole community. We all have a duty to defend life, and we have a duty especially to protect the weakest and most defenceless people in our community, those who can't speak for themselves, and there's nobody more vulnerable in New Zealand than the unborn child. It may be the last thing that politicians wanted in election year, but the ruling by Justice Miller has reignited the abortion debate. Lawyers for Right to Life and the Abortion Supervisory Committee will return to the High Court next month to discuss whether the judge needs to make any orders as a result of the matters raised in his judgment. That programme was written and presented by Anne-Marie May. Technical production was by Nick Shave and the producer was Sue Ingram.